listen, if you've not participated and are not participating and have not started, there's plenty of time to get online and to begin uh, reading through the New Testament with us. And I've got, a, I've got several stories, um, but we're not just reading through the New Testament to read through the New Testament so that we can check it off and say, I've read through the New Testament. That's not why we're doing that. But we're reading through the New Testament so that we can hear God's voice and so that we can apply what the Scripture has to say and that we can be who God's called us to be. I got an email this past week and said, I just want to tell you what this week has meant to me. Uh, said I was reading uh, this past week. I got into a conflict with one of my family members, and I went back to what God's Word had to said, say and I, what I had read that morning. I, I couldn't resist but call and to say we need to make things right. Um, I need to ask you for forgiveness because I wronged you. And it led to a conversation. And then they said they talked together, they prayed together, and they said, how do people live um, as non-believers and handle issues without God's Word? And that's the reasoning behind it, that when we read God's Word and we're serious about living it out, it's amazing how it affects our lives. It impacts our lives. And so um, that should be an amen for every one of us. Sometimes we don't want to hear what God's Word has to say, though, do, do we? Have you ever read God's Word and go, I don't like that? Yeah, <laughs> probably more of us than what we want to admit. Anyway, we're in week two of the best year ever. If you don't have a copy uh, of notes, hold up your notes and so I can see that you've got a copy of notes. If you want a copy and don't have a copy, uh, raise your hand. Let's see if we can get some copies. You're out? You gotta be kidding me. Lord, have mercy. Y'all got to go and have to tie. Sheila's going to make some prints. They're going to make some prints. So anyway, we'll see if we can get some more copies. That's a good problem to have is saying we're out. That means that you want them. And so uh, anyway, we're in the second week of best year ever. You know, you would think best year, it means that something good is going to happen. Something great is going to happen that's going to make it the best year. It could be the birth of a child. It could be the the building of a new home. It could be something that's just extravagant, and we go, man, that just makes it the best year. But that's not really what we're talking about. What we're saying is that um, what we're saying is that our best years aren't necessarily um, what happens around us, the circumstances. But what we've come to realize is that the best years are those those times in life when we experience peace. Because this is what I know. That in 2017, we're going to experience some difficult times, right? There are going to be some tensions. There may be loss of life. There are going to be those of us in this room that, that maybe have to deal with sickness or disease. It could be issues with relationships or whatever it may be. And the best year ever isn't necessary, necessarily about the circumstances that we will experience over 2017 but it's a peace that comes from knowing Jesus and knowing his word. Now, I don't know how much time you spend in the word. I mean, I could suppose and I could dream in my mind that every one of you spends at least 15, 20, 30 minutes in the scriptures every day seeking to hear God's voice and you spend some time in prayer. But the reality is, is that probably for some of you, the only time that you hear about God's word is when you're in here on a Sunday morning. Shame on us. You're not going to experience the best year ever with that being your experience in God's Word. And so what we've said is that over the next several weeks, what we want to do is we want to focus, we want to focus on God's Word. How do we come to, to learn it, to love it, and to live it out? How can we not just read it? How can we study it? And how can we apply it to our lives? And so today what I want to do is I'm going to see if we can maybe come to understand, because this is what I know, probably some of us don't spend as much time in God's Word because we don't under, really understand God's Word. Um, is that maybe a reality? Is that true? Some of us have a hard time or a difficult time spending time in God's Word because you feel like you get lost sometimes or you don't understand something. This means yes. This means no. Yeah, I think that's really true. 
So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to, to, to take a look and I wanted to be able to go back and I wanted to look at some things to maybe better help us understand God's, God's Word. I mean, because you can spend an awful lot of time in something and still not understand it completely. I mean, how many people have we had, do we have in here that's been married for at least 10 years? Raise your hand. How many, how many people do we have that's been married for, for 20 years? 30 years? <laughs> There's always a clown in the group, right? Listen, brother, however you want to count them. Would you seven or eight? I don't really know. It doesn't matter. How many of you have been married for 40 years? Look at here, 50 years? Wow. <laughs> Mr. Ted, let me, you're the closest one to me, so let me ask you a question. I bet you, I bet you there's some things that you still don't understand about Miss Carol. And I bet you there's some things that Miss Carol still doesn't understand about you, even though she's been with you for 50 years. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I think I got more of an oh yeah for Miss Carol than an oh yeah for Mr. Ted. <laughs> it sort of reminds me about uh, of a story of the guy that was walking along the beach, and he finds this bottle and he and uh, and he rubs it and out pops the genie, and the genie says, "Man, whoo, man, I've been locked up in that bottle for a long time. Said I'll give you anything that you want. Today is your day." And so the guy says, listen, he said, man, I can't believe this. He said, this is really a special moment. I tell you what, I get anything that I want. He said, I tell you what, I'll give you anything that you want. He said, I tell you what I want. I've always wanted to go to the Bahamas. The genie said, the Bahamas, not a problem. He said, uh, but the problem is this. I don't fly and I don't take boats because I don't know how to swim. And the genie said, well, how in the world do you want me to get you there? He said, I want you to build me a bridge build you a bridge do you do you have any idea of how much steel it would take to build a bridge to get to the Bahamas do you have any idea how many numbers of people it would take the amount of hours the amount of income it would take to build a bridge to get you to the Bahamas and the guy said well you said I could have anything I want he said well listen come on can we be a little bit more realistic here guy said all right he said I'll tell you what he said I'll make it simple for you will you, will you, will you help me just just help me better understand my wife Eugenie said, listen, I understand what you're saying. You want one lane or two lanes to the Bahamas. <laughs> I know we're not going to get it all figured out. But I'm going to do everything that I can to try to help us maybe take a step today. That's the goal. Can I help you take a step maybe closer so that the Bible comes a little bit more alive for you than what it was yesterday? That's what I want to do. I can't help you come to know and learn everything overnight, especially within a, in, a minute, in, a, in a matter of about 30 minutes or so. It's just impossible. But I want to take some information and try to give it to you to help you better understand the Word so that it becomes alive to you. Because if it begins to come alive to you, then I think you're going to want to read it more. And I think you're going to want to say, God, man, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, you're going to want to spend more time in the Word. And it's not just another book with more information. Because it's not just about the information. It's about the one for whom it was written. And it's there. And so I, let me give you some information today that I think will maybe help you uh, gain some more knowledge and understanding about not only the Word, but about God Himself. And so let's start off with some Bible facts today. The Bible simply means book, okay? In your notes, you have some notes there. You can write these, these things down, and we're going to put some things up on the screen. And, you know, this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose this morning. The, the word Bible actually means book. Greek word for, for the word Bible is, is biblos, okay? Biblos was a, was a Greek city along the Mediterranean, probably one of the oldest city, oldest known city, inhabited city uh, in the world. It was given that name because of the amount of, 
uh, what they called papyrus or paper that was imported during that time. And that's where uh, the Greeks got that word and where they gave, gave, uh, gave that word to, to the Bible. Um, anyway, the Latin word for the Bible is Biblia. So I wanted to make sure that you knew that. And the Bible is not the, a book with a, with a small B, but it's a capital B. Listen, it's the most read, most read Bible, um, most popular uh, book. It is the most translated book in the world. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's extremely important. contains the truths of God's Word. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different writers on uh, three different continents, 12 different countries, uh, three different languages, yet the same message, the same story, incredible story. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And sometimes people say, well, how in the world is that possible? I mean, how can, how can a group of people from different cultures, different continents, different generations write the same story? It was written by tax collectors, by princes, by kings, by shepherds, by poets, by sailors, soldiers, attorneys, priests, historians, fishermen, prophets, businessmen, just to name a few. And listen to some of the places that it was written. I mean, it was written in homes and caves and ships and palaces and prisons and in the desert. And again, how did they come up with the same story? How is that possible? More than 40 different writers, but listen to this, one author, one author, one author, inspired by God. Look at what the scriptures have to say and take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, because this is what the scriptures have to say. All, doesn't say some or a piece or a part, but he says all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us what is right. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And if you want to simplify it, and then I, don't, I don't believe we put this in your notes, man, listen. God's word tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. We say that around here an awful lot. God's word tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And then he goes on to say that it's useful and valuable for every area. I mean, finances, marriage, relationships, business, you name it, the Bible speaks upon it. Useful for every area. And I didn't really know this until many years after I was saved. And there may be some of you here today that don't know this, but the Bible is not in chronological order. Not in chronological order. In other words, it's not by order of time. But it was written and it was, and it was put together by, by organized by, by literature or by, by books or type of book. And so you can't just read the book from cover to cover and it make an awful lot of sense because it's, it's various time frames. And so it's really confusing. And so what I wanted to do today over the next several minutes is I wanted to, to see if I could maybe organize it. Now, I know some of you uh, use your phones uh, as, as, your, as your copy of God's Word. And I don't have anything against that. But let me, my kids and I, we had this conversation last night as we were talking I love a copy of the written word. Can you believe this, that maybe one day there will be a time when we won't have a copy of a written word? Think about that. Because everything that is written down will be where? In the cloud someplace. What happens if the cloud was taken away or if technology was taken away? You know, I have a difficult time memorizing scripture that's on a computer or that's on a... I have to look at it. I have to underline it. I have to be able to read it. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word or if you've become... I, maybe maybe your, your mode of, of reading God's Word is technology. I don't have a problem with that, but I just, I'm telling you, man, I feel like you need to have a copy of a written, the written Word. Since we started Heritage, we've, we've used the New Living Translation. We'll talk about translations in a couple of weeks 
we'll talk about some of the different translations and why we chose specifically the New Living Translation for us. Um, but I think it's really important that you have a copy of God's Word. And I also think it's really important that you not just have a copy of God's Word, but that you have a study Bible. Because a lot of times that study Bible will have notes that will help you as you walk along to help better explain some things that are in the Scriptures. We need those things because it's a quick reference. I mean, even this morning I had somebody text me, can you tell me what this is? And I said, listen, let me tell you where you can go to find that information so that you can look it up for yourself. And it wasn't because I didn't want to answer it. I just wanted to say, hey, here's where you can find it. Raise your hand, and so we've got some extra copies that are available this morning for you if you don't have a copy. But I want to be able to give you uh, in a form this morning uh, as quickly as possible. I want to try to outline the scriptures for you and how they were designed. If you've got a copy of God's Word, you can go to your table of contents and you might want to, you might want to mark these in your, in your table of contents and so you can write these out. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you can't afford a copy of God's Word, we have one in the back in Guest Central that we will give you this morning. And if you can't afford one and don't have one this morning and you want one, you can get up right now and you can go get one because we want to make sure that you've got that. But let me start out by saying this right here. The Old Testament is made up of 39 books. The first five books of the Bible, what are they? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books of the Bible are what we call the books of Moses or the books of law. In those books, this is what we find. We find the story of creation, Adam and Eve, the fall of man, Noah, the flood, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, Pharaoh, let my people go, the fleeing from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, a fire by, uh, a fire by night and a cloud by day, the people wandering around in the, in the desert. And we see the, the history of Israel all the way up into crossing into the, to the promised land in which they did not do. The next books of the Bible, the next 12 books, were what we know as the historical books, the books from Joshua to the books of Esther. They're called the history books because they tell us the history of the people of Israel after Moses. Um, over a course of about 800 years is what we find included in this, these books of history. Here we go. We find the, the conquering and the possession of the promised land, the reigns of judges, the establishment of kings, the division of Israel between the north and the south. We, we see the exile and the southern kingdom uh, being taken over by, the, by Babylon and the return to Jerusalem. We see um, that them coming back under guys like Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple. But that, that sort of puts it in a nutshell. And if you were to look at the ending of the history of the Old Testament, it would end with the book of Esther. So if you were looking really at the historical side, the Old Testament would end around Esther. But we know that there's more books because the Bible isn't organized by chronological order, but it's by, put by, by different types of books or literature. The next section we call are the poetic or wisdom books. There are five of these books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. It's very interesting because if you were to take Psalms and you were to, um, you were to put it back in chronological order, you would put it back into the history books. And believe it or not, the Song of so or, uh, Psalms was written over a period of about a thousand years by several, several different people, not just by David. But the Psalms were written over a period of a thousand years. Isn't that something else? Wow. So you've got the poetic and wisdom section, five books. And then the last books that we find are what we call the, the books of prophecy or the prophetic books. We have the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets um, beginning with Isaiah going all the way through Daniel, the minor prophets from Hosea to the ending of Malachi. They're not major and minor because one's more important than the other. They're major and minor based on the size of the book. It's just very interesting. But that's the 39 books of the Old Testament and how they're organized. So that gives you a little bit better picture. Maybe a better way to put it, if you really want to simplify it, would be this. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. The five books of the law, the five books of Moses, the 12 books of history, the five um, books of poetic or the wisdom books, and then the 17 books broken down into five books of um, the major prophets and the 12 books of the minor prophets. 
So that's the 39 books of the Old Testament. What about the, what about the New Testament? But before we get to the New Testament, there's how many years of silence? 400 years. 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in that 400 years, there were some things that took place. There were some things that took place because you still have, you still have the Jews coming back to Jerusalem. Uh, you still have Alexander the Great, the Greek conquest. You've got the Roman conquest all the way up to Herod and then the birth of Jesus. And so during that period, you've got the Jews coming back. Herod, all of a sudden, here we are at a period of time. And then you see the birth of Jesus all the way up. And so we begin the New Testament with the birth of Jesus. And so here are the 27 books of the New Testament. We start with what's called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written. Give us the life, the times of Jesus. The birth narratives. Talks about his life. Talks about his ministry. It talks about uh, uh, the people that he communicated with. His miracles. It talks about his his death, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. Then we get into what's called uh, the history book, the book of Acts. And it's there in the book of Acts that we see the initiation, uh, the beginning of the church, and also the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's there in the book of Acts that we find the spreading of the gospel and the spreading of the church um, and the coming of the Holy Spirit just as the Lord had promised, just as Jesus had promised. We also know that, um, that during this time, that as, the, that as the gospel spread, it went out from Jerusalem, and there were things that happened. There were things that took place. And as the gospel began to spread, it went to, from Jerusalem to Judea, and then the uttermost parts. And during that time, there were letters that were written, and those letters were called epistles. And so from Romans all the way to Jude, we've got these 21 letters or 21 epistles now, uh, if we were reading the book chronologically, Romans through Jude would be found inside of the book of Acts. All right, are you with me? It would be found inside of the book of Acts. And these letters are really important because they talk to us about doctrine. They talk to us about how to live. Um, these are personal accounts from church planners and, and people about, about exactly what to do and, and how to go about doing things. Faith, they talked about, was, was not through obedience to the law, but it was by faith that we were saved. And these things are clarified inside the epistles that were written. And then we have what's called the 66th book, um, the book of Revelation, which is also the book of prophecy. It's the last book. John wrote that book while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. John had been placed there because of his faith in Christ. But that's an overview of the scriptures very quickly. How many of you honestly would say, I never knew, this is honestly, okay, I didn't know, nobody ever told me, I didn't realize that the scripture wasn't written chronologically in order. How many would raise their hand and say that? Yeah, a lot of us. Not written in order. So I would tell you this, maybe a good thing to do is maybe you want to purchase yourself a chronological Bible because there are chronological Bibles that are written in order of time and what took place. And you'll find that there are, there are many things in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are repeated. Just want to encourage you with that. The next thing that I want to do is this, and this is going to be somewhat difficult to do in a very short amount of time, but I think I can do this, especially if I read some of it. I saw this done one time, and what it did is it took the scriptures and it basically put it inside of a mirror image so that you could put a picture to the scripture. And I think we've got it so that we can do it on the screen this morning so that it'll help you see the progression, the centrality of the gospel and where Jesus fits, and then how it's mirror imaged. The Old Testament and the New Testament and how it's mirrored so much I cannot put in here this morning but I think I can do it within a short amount of time but I think it'll give you a little bit better picture of the scriptures and help us to see that Jesus is the center point of the scripture itself so let me see if I can do this today beginning in the book of Genesis because it's in the story uh, there in the book of Genesis that we see the story of creation 
story of creation, God and righteous man in the garden there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and, and in chapters 1 and 2. Righteous meaning sinless. So you've got man and God together, perfect, good. God made us that way. Man had fellowship with God and there was no shame and there was no guilt and everything was just as God had created it and intended it to be. But if you know the story, it didn't stay that way, did it? No. Because what happened? We know that Satan and sin entered the picture. And what sin did is it separated us from God. Man's relationship with God was broken, and this is what the Scripture has to say, that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short. Now, if Sheila were standing up here teaching you, she would say this, sin is what? Self-indulging nature. I pointed that out this week as I was in a conversation. And anytime you find self-indulging nature, you find chaos, people. When you have self-indulging nature happening inside of your home, you have chaos, don't you? There's conflict. When it's my way instead of your way, there's conflict. And that's what man said. Listen, God, I want to do things my way. I don't want to do things your way. And so at that time, sin entered the world and there was chaos. And finally God said, listen, enough is enough. I'm going to start over. And the world was judged and destroyed. We find that in Genesis chapter 6. And at that time, there was a man by the name of Noah who the Bible said was righteous. And the Bible says that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it was Noah and his family that during that time, along with the animals, that were the only ones that survived the flood. And they were given a new start, a new opportunity. But instead of spreading out and repopulating the earth as God had commanded, they came up with their own plan. Afterwards, they were going to build a great city for themselves and a tower that reached all the way up to the sky so that everybody could see them and they could make a name for themselves. Wow. Hmm. It was called the Tower of Babel. And they actually tried to create what was called or what we could call a one-world government system. Same language, same goal. Trying to establish a worldwide empire that would be independent of God. God's response was that he confused their language and he scattered Noah's descendants all over the world. Shem went to one area, Ham went to another area, and Japheth to another area. And it was that time that we see the nations were born. And Josephus, a great historian, said this. He said all of this happened because man was prideful and he didn't want to submit to God. The only thing that they had on their mind was bringing glory to themselves. What's on your mind? When you think about life and you think about your daily choices, who do you think about bringing glory to? When you wake up in the morning is, and you're making your plans and you're in your conversations and you're thinking about your choices and decisions as you make along the day, who do you think about bringing glory to? Yourself or God? Or do we spend all of our time trying to build bigger, better, more, so that we can make a name for ourselves. What's the motivations of our hearts? God could have destroyed them all because of their wickedness, but he didn't do that. But what he did, instead he demonstrated grace and he scattered them. And it was during that time that God began to create an order and a system through a line of a man by the name of Abraham. And we see where the 12 tribes of Israel and God's holy people were created God desired a people that he could entrust his word to. God desired a people that would be a light to the nations. And God desired a line for whom the Messiah would come. And he chose Israel. And he gave them laws. He gave them things to do and he gave them things not to do. He gave them a, sacrifice, a sacrificial system of how they could become right with God. But if you know the story, it didn't work too well. Not well at all. Because everything that God gave them was all about the external. External. In other words, they knew the law, they could read the law, they could carry out the law, but they struggled to keep the law because the law was in their, it was in their head, but it wasn't in their hearts. They knew it, but they just couldn't seem to do it. Sound familiar? How many of you have ever known the law but couldn't do the law? 
How many of you have known the expectation but couldn't fulfill the expectation? There's a simple way to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is all about the external. The New Testament is all about the internal. We're going to talk about that in just a couple of weeks. But everything that took place, nothing caught God, God off guard. God knew exactly what was going on because he's God. And at the center of it all was Jesus. Jesus. The hope of the world. And he was at the center because he's at the center of God's plan. See, think about this just for a moment. Hell isn't a place because that God sends people that he's angry with or mad at. That's not what it's for. See, hell is a place for those of us that are at a place that we say, God, I can handle it. I don't need you. I'll do it on my own. I'll pay for my own sins. But Jesus said, no, it's not necessary. I'll demonstrate my love that even while you're sinners, you came to die. And that's what took place. Jesus said, I'll pay your bill. And eventually, by choice, he came and he died and he gave his life, but he was resurrected. But before he left to go, he said, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to leave a comforter for you, the Holy Spirit, so that my laws aren't just written in your, on, a t- on a tablet, but now they're going to be written on your minds and in your hearts. And so in the midst of that time with, with Jesus, we find the disciples, the 12 disciples, no longer here we do we have the, the 12 disciples. Uh, the 12 tribes, but now we have the 12 disciples and we have God's church, God's holy people. And I love what the passage says in Hebrews chapter 8. It says this, but this is the new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel. On that day says, I, the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write this on their hearts and I will be their God and they'll be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives. He says, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And you know, it wasn't that long ago that I remember being in school and in in public when the things of the Lord were accepted and promoted. See, I remember going to school when, back in the early 70s, when part of my daily routine was reciting in a public school, The Ten Commandments. I remember not long ago when I was coming up that part of my daily routine, if it wasn't the Ten Commandments, it was the reciting of the Lord's Prayer in a public school. But it's not that way anymore, is it? I don't think that we're getting better. Things aren't getting better, are they? As a matter of fact, they're moving further and further away from the things of God. And if we watch and if we listen, this is what's happening around us slowly, but it's like the frog in the kettle. If you even know the story about the frog in the kettle, as the water warms up, frog's all right to start off with. He doesn't even know it, but after a period of time, he boils. That's what happens. We get really used to what's going on and don't realize that things are happening all around us. And we're becoming immune to the changes that are happening very fast. But this is what's happening. A one-world government system. The Bible doesn't use that phrase, one-world government system, when talking about the last days. But there's enough evidence in the scriptures that talks about an alliance of nations and governments that will exist in those last days under the rule of an antichrist who will be put in power by Satan himself and be given a rule in authority. I want you to think about that. Revelations chapter 13 has an awful lot to say about it. And he will be followed by people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. And the coming together and alliance seems impossible to us as we think about the diversity and the the cultures and the different um, administrations and the different groups of people. But you know what? People do unbelievable things in time of stress, in times of crisis. And John outlined in the book of Revelation the global crises that would take place. Go back and read it in the book of Revelation. And we will do anything during a time of difficulty to find relief and pain and distress. And this one world system, this one will have a currency. Talk about a mark 
used for buying and purchasing things that we find in the book of Revelation. It says the, bar, the mark of a beast that will be used by those that worship the Antichrist. And the scripture says this, that the world will be judged and destroyed again, not by water, but this time by fire. In the book of 2 Peter, it declares this, but the day of the Lord will come as expectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in a fire and the very earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And Satan will be bound up in Satan and sin will exit. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. We find that in Isaiah chapter 65. We find it in 2 Peter and in Romans chapter 8 where it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. But then we'll spend eternity in heaven. God and redeemed man back in paradise. And we make up stories about heaven. But one of the conflictual issues is that we don't really know an awful lot about heaven. I mean, you know, some of the best-selling books today are, you know, are things like, uh, you know, I saw heaven. It's for real. But I think it really we get really confused. We see what the scriptures have to say in Revelation and what the Bible has to say about what heaven is like. But it's hard for us to fathom. I don't think we understand the, the, the majesty and the creativity of our God and truly the magnificent wonder of heaven. And I think one of the best illustrations about heaven I, I've ever heard is, is, is from a story that I tell from time to time. Um, and I tell this story because I think it's really important because sometimes it's, and we can't understand the depths and the, and the breadth and the width and the majesty of heaven. And so this, this maybe will help, help you relate just a little bit. Um, there was a guy that was sick one day. Back in those days, the uh, doctors would come to your house. Word had gotten to the doctor that this man was sick and the wife had sent word to him. So he showed up at the guy's house to see him. He knocked on the door. The wife let him in. He came in and he sat down and she, she said, Doc, I just want you to know that, that before you go up to see my husband, he's not been doing well. He's been asking an awful lot of questions. As a matter of fact, he thinks he's going to die. You know, he's a believer. You know, he, he loves the Lord. And I know that you're a Christian and I know that you love the Lord. But what are the, probably one of the questions he's going to ask you today is about heaven. So I want you to know that. The doctor said, fine, we're good. I'll take him back to the scriptures and I'll show him what the word has to say. But the guy, that doctor that had come that day had, had brought his dog with him, and she said, well, my husband's upstairs. And the guy said, well, I'll go. He said, well, listen, can I just leave my dog downstairs? She said, that's fine. And so the doctor made his way upstairs, and he shut the door behind him, and he walked in, and he saw the, saw the man lying in the bed, and, and he looked at him, and the guy began to, they began to have a conversation back and forth. And finally, the guy just boldly said, he said, doc, I don't have long to live, do I? And the doctor looked at him, and after taking some vitals and after sitting down and doing an evaluation, he said, no, Jim, you really don't, don't have long to live at all. And he said, well, Jim, I got a question. He said, doc, I got a question for you. Not having long to live, he said, I had just been thinking an awful lot about heaven. And he said, doc, I've been really struggling with that. He said, because I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. And, and uh, he said, can you help me out? And so the doctor always carried a Bible with him. He uh, pulled out his Bible and he went to the book of Revelation. But about that time, he heard, a, he heard a pawing at the door. And the doctor thought for a minute and it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke to him. And he said, uh, he said Jim, you, you, you hear that scratching at the door? And he said, yeah, he said, um, that reminds me an awful lot of heaven. And he said, Doc, what in the world has that got to do with heaven? He said, well, <laughs> he said, I brought my dog with me today. He said, I left him downstairs. He said, I came up here to, set, to see you. And he said, the uniqueness is this. My dog doesn't have a clue what's on the other side of that door. He just knows that this master's there, and that's good enough for him. And he said, there's a lot of stuff that I can read for you. There's a lot of things that I can tell you. But he said, Jim, I don't know nothing but this. I know what the Bible has to say, and I know that my master's there, and that's good enough for me. 
And for those of us that are believers, sometimes I think we get, a, we get afraid of, of talking about heaven and, and what's next because we don't really know what's next. But to me, that gives me a clear picture. Forget it all. The streets of gold, the walls of jasper and gold, and et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that I know is my master's there, and that's good enough for me. You know, when you think about this picture, we could basically say this is how the Bible reads in a, in a, in a very uh, concise, quick way. Um, or this is how the Bible is still being lived out because we know that there's still more to come. But I want to close out with a couple of thoughts today. Number one, what's the subject of the Bible? What's the center point of the Bible? It's Jesus. Jesus is the center of the Scriptures. He's the center point. Um, some people would say, but Jesus is only in the New Testament. He's not in the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> he's in Genesis. He's in creation. He's that fourth man in the fiery furnace. There's over 300 prophecies that we find in, in the Scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesy about Jesus and the Messiah. That's a lot. Jesus himself even said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. You, you search the scriptures, and you think about the scriptures that Jesus would have had access to at that time, and the ones, the scriptures that he would have been talking about would have been the Old Testament scriptures. You search the scriptures. In other words, you, you, you're looking through the Old Testament and thinking that it's, it's just about following the rules. And he says, because you think they give you eternal life. But you know what the scriptures do? Jesus said, they point to me. They point to me. Not to me, but to Jesus. That's what Jesus said. And you might think, well, why in the world is, is that so important? Because when we read God's Word, we should read God's Word with that thought in mind. I want to study the Scriptures. I want to look over the Scriptures. But I want to, I want to look at the Scriptures not thinking that the, that the Scriptures are what bring me eternal life or obedience to the law that brings me eternal life. But Jesus is who brings me eternal life. That's where, the, that's where it comes from. By faith in Christ. It's not through obedience to the law, obedience to Scriptures. And as we read the Word and as we look for Jesus, you will find Him because He's there. If Jesus is the subject, we're the object. We're the object of Jesus' affections. And the verb, the verb isn't love. No, the verb isn't love. That's the motivation behind the verb. The verb is gave. This is what the Scripture has to say. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. God did something that only he could do. He gave us something, and it was something that he freely gave. It wasn't something that he gave without hesitation, but he freely gave. He gave his love. And it not only defines what Jesus did, but it defines for us what we should do, that we should freely give, freely give our love. He gave so that we might receive and just as God gave, that's what we should do. He gave, and we can give. His one and only Son, so that anyone who believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. He gave the most extravagant gift that was available. Himself. Himself. And when we receive what He gave us, it prompts us to want to give to others. See, when we receive Christ, when we receive him, it puts us in a position to want to, to give to others. It's not about holding on, but when I receive Christ, I in turn want to give myself to others. We recognize what God has done and when we receive his love, it causes us to want to pass it on to others. This is what 1 John 3.16 says. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And our, our giving isn't limited to our brothers and sisters. But it goes on to our neighbors and our co-workers. 
our friends as well as our enemies. And it's our mandate as followers of Christ. And that's what the scripture is all about. It's not a bunch of information. It's not more information so that I can, I can learn more information so I can tell somebody else everything that I know. But what's included in here, this is God's story of his love towards us. It's a story about his son. It's a story about his extravagant love and how when we come to know him, we ourselves can't remain the same. It's the story of the church and how the gospel and the good news that when we come to receive that good news, that we have the responsibility and the mandate to take that good news on out and to live and to be his ambassadors, to take it to the ends of the earth, not to become settled into a place like this and to sit down and just read God's word on Sundays and leave. But when you read God's word and you apply it and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's not just stuff written on a tablet, but it's written on your heart. No Jesus, no change. No Jesus, no change. Do you know him? Do you know him? Because if you know him, you're different. I didn't say you're perfect. And I didn't say you had it all together. I didn't say that at all. Every one of us in this room put our pants on every day. Every, including Ma, myself, every one of us. Every one of us are, are, are tempted. You know, as I read this week, this is one of the things that stuck out to me this week in my reading in Matthew chapter 4. I, as I read, I thought to myself, Jesus wasn't tempted in the temple. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. That's where he was tempted. And you know what happens when you walk outside these doors? You go into the wilderness. And you know what Satan did? He knows exactly where your area of weakness is. He's not going to tempt you in an area that you're strong, but he's going to find an area that you're weak, and he's going to tempt you in that area. And every one of us have a responsibility as believers to hold other believers accountable, not to judge them, thank you, but to hold one another accountable. Why? Because we love each other. But it's all in God's Word. This is not just another book. This is not just a another great book this is the inspired word of God 66 books that have been compiled over a length of time that God gave us and he gave it to us so that we could read the story we have the privilege and the honor of being able to read his story and do you read it or do you wait on me just to give it to you if you don't know him, it's not my fault. If you don't know him, why? You can know the word and still have a rebellious heart. You can know the word and go to church every day. It's not going to get you to heaven. Hell is for people that say, God, I got it. I got it taken care of. I don't need you. I know the Bible. I don't need Jesus. I can always tell the heart of somebody that loves Jesus because there's humi humility and submission. I can always tell when somebody's not walking with Jesus or when they're wrestling because there's, there's rebelliousness and there's hard-heartedness. It's all here. Every answer to everything that we've got is right here. Matthew chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. This week, if you'll read with us, we'd love for you to have you read. You, don't have, you can go to the website. You can find information. We'll try to put on Facebook, connect with us. Uh, we'll try to encourage. I love what Michelle Westgate. Michelle, where are you at? Are you here? Michelle Westgate, I see her. She's hiding. You're in between that bar up there. <clears throat> I love what Michelle did. She said, listen, if you want to do a read-through, 
uh, the New Testament in 2017 with me. She said, let me know and I will encourage you through Facebook. Great tool. Great tool. Because every one of us need of encouragement. If you miss a day, listen, don't get all bummed out and quit. Just pick it up the next day. The other thing I want to encourage you in, listen, keep notes. Ask God one thing. God, give me one thing. Every day I'm saying, uh, every day with everything, because, man, there's so much. But every day I'm saying, God, give me one thing that speaks to my heart. One day, one thing that speaks to my heart today that I can apply to my life. One thing. If you're families, listen, try as much as possible. I know schedules are crazy. Try as much as possible to read it together. Yes, I know your kids have phones, and yes, I know your kids can read them on the Scripture. You know, what Meredith does is we'll read, and then what they do is they, they discuss a lot of times on the, on the way to school. Those are the discussion times on the way to school. You got to, man, you got to, you got them. They can't get away. Now, that puts a lot of pressure a lot of times on moms. It may be dads. But you got to, man, you got a collective audience right there. But join us because we just don't want to know God's word. We want to learn it. We want to love it. And we want to live it out. Because if we want to experience the best year ever, it's not just about all those great things that are going to happen this next year, but it's even in the midst of difficulties that we'll experience a peace because we know the Savior. Will you bow with me? Father, what a great day it is. I pray that you, the Holy Spirit, are our great teacher. Remind us, Father, of your greatness. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus, Father, I pray that even this morning that they would come to that place of saying, Jesus, I don't know everything, but this is what I know. I believe that you died on a cross for me. I believe that I'm a sinner and I am in desperate need of you. I want to trust you and follow you today. If that's you, I'd love for you to come and say to me today, I, I made that decision. I want to follow Jesus. For those of us that are followers of Christ, let us get in the Word. Let us read the Word with the intent of applying, seeking every day of seeing how we can see Jesus in the Scriptures because He is the center point. Father, may we be your ambassadors as we leave this place to impact this world in such a way that when people see us, they know that we're different. We know that we're different because we know Jesus. In your name we pray.